Today, before we begin our podcast episode, we want to take a moment to recognize that Monday, December 7th, is the 79th anniversary of the attack on Pearl Harbor. We remember the countless soldiers and residents of Hawaii that were killed, injured, and emotionally shaken by this event that thrust the United States into World War II. At Facts and Firearms, we recognize that the freedoms we experience today are only possible because brave soldiers of today and throughout our history were willing to lay down their lives for us. We know 2020 has been a hectic year for all of us, but we hope that in the midst of your life, December 7th, 2020, you can take a moment to honor the memory of those brave men and women from our nation's history. The facts and blog and podcast. They're talking about the, the outright confiscation of uh, lawfully owned semi-automatic rifles. Those rifles that Faxon makes uh, that you guys are selling to law-abiding citizens every day. Or in this case, buyback, which that word irritates me. They never owned it. They're buying it from us. They're taking it from us. Not it, you know the buyback phrase just irritates me. But and, and it's with our money. It's a tax dollar buying our gun back from us. So that whole loop is probably another show. But <laughs> my blood pressure will start going up if we continue there. Faxon, the NSSF, every dealer in the world could make as much content and classes as they want. But if we, as a community of gun owners, aren't going to be welcoming of these newcomers, then we're throwing up a hurdle where a hurdle doesn't need to be. You're right, Dustin. It's about reducing the barriers to entry. And those are some of the things that we've been trying to do as an industry to help manufacturers and try to help retailers. We could talk about, you know, whether, you know, a Benelli or a Beretta is going to be a better shotgun for upland hunting or duck hunting, or we can go on and on about what what frame of AR we like the best, what barrel length and what what trigger pull and, and, and what drop-in trigger we want to put in. That's great for us to do that. But like you said, let's just get these people in the door. The only thing is, though, I, I like the debate on the nine and the 45, I like the Benelli and the Beretta, but we can't debate. If you buy a barrel, it has to be a Faxon barrel. There's no debate on that. that that's your barrel you want to buy. endorsed by the NSSF. Yeah, we, 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 have to, we have to agree on that. This episode this week is brought to you by our friends at Lockdown, yeah. hence the giant Lockdown box here. We're going to be giving away a uh, in-plane sight shelf this week. Now, do you really the like the space stuff? Because you, uh, you're, a, you're a moon landing denier, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Conspiracy theorist. I like the space stuff, and I don't feel like it conflicts with my belief that we didn't actually land on the moon. I'm impressed with the props. I'm impressed <laughs> with the the lengths they went to to convince us that we did. Um, oh my you know, down to designing the food that they claimed the astronauts <laughs> were eating. I, I heard Neil Armstrong punched a guy once. I think time. it was Buzz Aldrin. Oh, was it Buzz? I heard it was Buzz Aldrin, okay. who like came yeah. up and confronted him, and yeah, I think right. Buzz Aldrin Maybe just I'm... gave him the old one too. I'd love to have Buzz Aldrin punch me. <laughs> I really would. We could turn that into a podcast. I really would. If you're looking to up your game for gun cleaning and maintenance, you have to check out the Tipton Ultra Gun Vice. Uh, this thing is amazing. It's incredibly modular, uh, pretty lightweight, but really, really heavy duty, all the way down to the steel tube frame. All these different modular pieces and parts, even the accessory trays are solvent resistant, and uh, they have excellent gripping pads to make sure that you don't scrape up the gun that you're working on. They even work on things like crossbows, so if you want some 
something that's going to be the one-stop vice for all of your gun cleaning and maintenance needs, you definitely need to check them out. Uh, you could head to tiptonclean.com to check out all the specs, all the reviews, see some more photos uh, of this vice in action. And we're actually going to be using this particular one for some research and development projects uh, for some new products from Faxon coming up soon and we're excited to share both those products and the footage of the testing with you. Uh, so again, visit tiptonclean.com and check out the Ultra Gun Vice. Hi, and welcome to episode 44 of the Facts and Blog and Podcast. We have an awesome show coming up for you today. First of all, our president and co-founder, Bob Faxon, is going to be co-hosting with me as we talk to Mark Oliva from the NSSF. Uh, Mark is the NSSF's public affairs director and has an amazing resume that dates all the way back to the early 90s, being in the Marines, uh, writing for the Stars and Stripes newspaper, uh, being a public affairs chief, and so much more. He's going to be giving us uh, a little bit of insight of what we're calling the state of 2A. So what is going on in light of uh, election results? Uh, what does the NSSF see happening this year? What are their numbers telling them as far as background checks, new shooters? What could possibly be on the horizon for legislation and what could be impacting the 2A community? And we also take a look at uh, just some of the things that make these shooting sports great and some of the memories that could be made and kind of focusing around that founding principle of facts and firearms with Bob and Barry and that is the fellowship of firearms. So that'll be coming up in the main segment today. Also on Jay's World of Eats, we will be giving away a in plain sight shelf from our friends at Lockdown. So we'll give you all the ways uh, to enter during Jay's World of Eats today. So before we go any further, we will take a break to hear from our friends of the podcast, and then we'll hop into mine and Bob's conversation with Mark Oliva of the NSSF. You know, it's no secret that the things that you keep in your gun safe are important. They're valuable. They're things that you want, you need, you need to hold on to, whether it's just your firearms and supplies. Or I know a lot of people like to use their gun safes to hold things like tax returns and other important documents, family photos. All of those things are incredibly important. And to help keep better track of it and better maintenance on those items, Lockdown has a series of devices and utilities and tools to help keep those things that you treasure safe. One of my personal favorites that we actually use here in the office quite a bit uh, around our storage for cameras and lighting and things like that is just one of their dehumidifiers. Now they have lots of other stuff. You may have already heard of the Goldenrod. You've heard a lot of stuff about the Lockdown Puck, uh, which is a smart device to help keep your gun drawer, your safe, your tools, even your wine cellar safe. Uh, and checking up on the humidity and the atmosphere in those places as well. We did a great episode with Lockdown several weeks back that you could check out at factsandfirearms.com slash blog, where we go through pretty much their entire product line and everything from the Lockdown Puck to dehumidifiers to even things like, you know, storage, rack shelving, things of that variety, keeping your safe, keeping your gun room clean, organized, and protected, and you can even get something like this, one of their room or gun safe dehumidifiers. If you're looking to organize that space in your home, again, whether it's for your gun safe or just anything that you hold valuable, we'd recommend you go to lockdown.com. 
Well, as promised, Mark Oliva from the NSSF is on with us today. And also uh, to my right here, Bob Faxon, our uh, co-founder and president of Faxon Firearms is with us uh, for this special guest. So Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. I appreciate you having me. It's a, it's a real treat to be able to speak to you guys and to be able to speak to your listeners today. Excellent. Thanks so much. So just real quick, if you wouldn't mind just giving our listeners a, a background about who you are and what you do and, and how you uh, came uh, to be the public affairs director for the NSSF. Yeah. So uh, again, I, I'm the public affairs director for NSSF. I get to uh, talk to all the media, I guess, that, that sometimes most people don't want to talk to. So I get to talk to a lot of your, your outward facing media. I don't, I don't get an opportunity very often to talk to folks inside the industry like this. So this is kind of really is a real treat. Um, a lot of times I'm having to explain who we are as a firearm industry and, and, and what we're trying to do and what the NSSF does. So that's kind of what I do on a daily basis. Uh, we're trying to work those communications uh, that facing outside of the industry. Uh, I've been with NSSF just about four years, um, and I came here after 25 years working in the Marine Corps. Uh, it was a it was a blessed time to be able to serve. Uh, I served both in Iraq and Afghanistan, multiple tours, um, and, and several other deployments before that. Those were my first shooting matches. Um, so uh, it it was a great time, and I loved it. I loved my time in uniform, and, and you know when I was getting ready to finish up my Marine Corps career. I thought to myself, where do I, you know, I love being able to do what I do in, in the Marine Corps. I want to be able to have a career that I love uh, when I get out. I didn't want to go work for somebody who was just selling socks. I wanted to do something I really cared about. And I care about firearms. I care about our rights. I care about the outdoors. I enjoy being outdoors. Um, so uh, I had the opportunity to interview for this job and, and, they, and they made me an offer here uh, and so it's been a, a real treat to be able to work in this industry around people like this. And, and, and as well as I'm sure you guys know, just as well as I do, our industry is chock full of veterans. So it's, it was kind of going from one big gun club to another big gun club. And, and it really wasn't that hard of a transition to make because everyone kind of speaks the same language. Yeah, for sure. You know, one of the things that I think is interesting, especially right now, we're in this midst of the turn from a Republican president to a Democratic president. And obviously yeah. you've been in the industry as, you know, as a as someone in the Marine Corps, but also now kind of on the private side with the NSSF of seeing multiple presidencies. I mean, you you hop in right at the beginning of, of Clinton being president when you're active duty. And then you saw, you know, Bush and Obama and now Trump. And now we're heading into, uh, you know, having Biden Harris in office. And uh, I mean, speaking from your background, does this seem to be on par with some of the kind of social heat that has been on, you know, the firearms community over the past decades? Or is this something totally brand new? Well, there, there are some similarities that we can look back to, and, and there are some things that are a little unprecedented about this, uh, this possible incoming administration, and we're keeping a very close eye on some of those. So to kind of look back, obviously, we looked at, uh, if you look back, even back to 2000, you had um, you know, President Bush coming into the office, and at the time, we were still under the assault weapons ban from 1994. That was a 10-year ban on the manufacture and sale of uh, firearms to civilians, uh, of these semi-automatic AR-15 style rifles. And it wasn't a complete ban, if we're going to be completely honest. It was 
those who owned them could still own them. Um, there were certain models that were uh, unavailable for sale. And then there were certain models based on cosmetic characteristics, which you could buy. And, and what we kind of see still lingering with some of that is, is what you will see like in New York, New York's uh, compliant uh, versions of their rifles, where you have monolithic stocks, uh, you have certain cosmetic features that have nothing to do with the function of the firearm that aren't present on the, on the rifle. Of course, that sunsetted in 2004, uh, and gun control was an issue in the 2008 campaign uh, when President Obama was elected. Uh, and he came into office talking about wanting to do gun control. And, and of course, during his presidency, we saw several tragedies, which really spurred um, you know, some of the talk about gun control. But by and large, not much progress was made on the gun control side. Uh, a lot of that had to do with legwork on, on our part, legwork on, on other gun organizations, uh, you know, the NRA and several other uh, gun order organizations to make sure that people understood what was being talked about and how this was really going to kind of carve into fundamental God-given rights that are protected by the Second Amendment in the U.S. Constitution. Um, so if we kind of watch that pattern go forward into now, we've seen some of that. We saw Hillary Clinton campaign on the platform of, of wanting to reinstate the 1994 assault weapons ban. She also talked about wanting to do universal background checks. And those were kind of the two anchors of her gun control platform. Uh, this, it, this incoming administration has been talking about things that are much more far reaching. Um, and this is really what it kind of makes it a much more radical and a much more, uh, uh, Left leftist agenda that that we have never seen before. They're talking about the the outright confiscation of uh, lawfully owned semi-automatic rifles. Those rifles that Faxon makes uh, that you guys are selling to law-abiding citizens every day. They will talk about wanting to confiscate those uh, and through what they call a government buyback, which really is just fundamentally is is a is a confiscation. Their alternative, if you don't want to have it confiscated would be that you would register under the 1934 uh, National Firearms Act, which would treat the semi-automatic rifle. And again, we're talking about technology that's over 100 years old. Uh, and this sort of rifle has been sold commercially since at least 1961, I think, as the, the oldest ad I could find from Colt, the Colt Sporter rifle. Uh, so, I mean, it's been on the market for, what, 50, 60 years, 70 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, that's what they're talking about is wanting to buy these up. Our most recent production figures tell us that there are at least 20 million of these firearms that are uh, in circulation today. And those production figures are actually about two years old, just because of the way the reporting cycle works. When manufacturers, much like you, are reporting your productions at the end of the year to the ATF, ATF takes all those numbers, crunches them back together, and then pushes those numbers back out. We were able to just kind of update those, and we know that there's at least 20 million at 2018. So if we include 2019's numbers and of course the through the roof sales this year, uh, we think we're, we're pretty well north of those numbers. So we're talking something that is a 20 million, very commonly owned firearm, and we're talking about an administration that wants to seize that. And that's kind of just the tip of the iceberg of the things that this administration coming into office would want to do to the industry. So we are very concerned and those things are kind of what separate this from other gun control efforts we've seen in the past. 
Yeah, for sure. You know, Bob, with, I mean, now granted, you've you've had firearms as part of your and, and Barry's lives, you know, for a long time, but, you know, with firearms here starting in, in 2012, I mean, what has been that ebb and flow to you? I mean, seeing this big spike we've seen this year, but when you're first coming to market in 2012 with the ARAC, you know, did the social climate feel anything like this when you were first coming into the, to the production game for firearms? You know, it's interesting. I think we all have different perspectives, but first, Mark, let me thank Thank you for your service. I didn't want to thank interrupt you, you earlier, but I, I deeply appreciate that the sacrifice you and your family have made for us. And to cover the topic that we're talking about today, I think it's very appropriate to thank you. So that, that's first and foremost for me. But if we're speaking about the industry, to your point, the comments that are being made today, the aggressiveness of it, it's not even things that industry could use their agility and creativity to get around. It'll be very difficult for us to circumvent different bands, like you said, the thumbhole stock. There are things we could do to mitigate things in the past, but my concern as a manufacturer is, I believe we're an agile company. I think we're very creative and innovative. It's one of the things we lean on, but with the things that I'm hearing in the news, if they even go in that direction, I don't know how we manipulate our products to stay ahead of the curve. I think some of the things I've heard are very definitive. And um, I, I think working angles and being creative and being more agile than the government is not difficult. But if the if the rules are too stiff and the requirements are too drastic, or in this case buyback, which that word irritates me, they never owned it. They're buying it from us. They're taking it from us. Not it, you know the buyback phrase just irritates me. But and, and it's with our money. It's a tax dollar buying our gun back from us. So that whole loop is probably another show. But <laughs> my blood pressure will start going up if we continue there. But the the, the draconism of these thought processes and the outward statements that are being made truly concern me. They truly concern me. And I don't think it's a political issue where you can have a little T social discussion and debate pros and cons. I think this is drastic. I think the consequences of a negative issue under these topics is significant. And what I really bothers me is when I hear people speaking and I, I assume their heart's in the right spot. I, I definitely don't agree with them, but I'm hoping their heart's in the right spot trying to do a safe thing. But the reality is they're not contemplating at all the consequence. They're not contemplating the negative consequence of taking your rifle from you after 25 years in the Marine Corps and saying, you can't have that to defend yourself and your family. There is a whole nother discussion that needs to be had. This is single-sided, blind, and draconianism, as far as I'm concerned. Very concerned. Yeah. And, and Bob, you're right. And one of the things that we've been trying to do over the past few years here at NSSF predates my time to coming in, but I certainly agree with it, is, is we've been trying to make sure that people understand that the firearms that you're making and the firearms that I carried while I was in, in the military are two different firearms. Uh, I carried what is truly an assault weapon. It is a it is a rifle that was capable of three round automatic burst or fully functional automatic fire uh, by use of the selector lever. The the AR 15s that I own now are semi automatic rifles. It's, it's it's capable of safe or it's capable of one one round expended for every squeeze of the trigger. So this is where we see the this misnomer coming from the other side where they're trying to purposely conflate the firearms that I use based on cosmetic features and the firearms you produce based on cosmetic features with those used by the military. And that's, it's a scare tactic. And they're, and they're, they're inviting those who, who may not be as familiar with these firearms as you and I uh, to, uh, to make that comparison and to make that natural draw just because these firearms look similar. 
Yeah. And we've really tried to been on a campaign to make sure people understand that these are these are lawful weapons to own. These are lawful firearms to own, that these are lawful uh, uses of these firearms when you're using for recreational target shooting, if you're going to use them for hunting. And I use my AR-10 for hunting. I use my AR-15 for hunting. Um, and if you're going to use these for for self-defense in the home, and they actually are very effective uh, firearm frames to be using for self-defense. We've seen this time and again. I agree with you. And I think the definition <coughs> of these is the way they... Um, in the past, the government can dehumanize certain countries or ethnicities to facilitate a war. And, and there have been terms, Jerry's, Nazis, et cetera, that have been used so that a human being can feel uh, more comfortable in having to do what they have to do. And you could probably relate to that being in the military. But now they're taking these firearms and they're trying to lump them in with something they're not so that the average person on the middle of the fence says, oh, of, of course, that, that doesn't make sense to me. I would argue that too. But they're dehumanizing or they're changing the face of what you're actually talking about of being banned and making it look like something else. And it's not right. It's not right. It, it, to me, it's just a, it's a, it's a campaign of ignorance that they're promoting. Well, and, exactly. and Mark, one of the things that, you know, we talked, uh, we did a couple of shows leading up to the election um, with uh, some, some folks from like uh, Dan Zimmerman from the truth about guns. Uh, we had uh, Sean Maloney from second call defense on, we had our own uh, sheriff here in Hamilton or in Butler County, Ohio, uh, Sheriff Jones on the show. And we were just it, trying to look at what the official platform for Biden and Harris stated. And one of the things that was on there was just, a blanket term of just semi-automatic weapons. And I think that was the thing that was one of the more alarming deals because we've all dealt with the whole, hey, this state or this county or this jurisdiction doesn't even want things that look like an AR, let alone function like one. But if we're saying all semi-automatic weapons, we could be talking about your, your mag-fed shotgun that you hunt with. We could be talking about obviously your, your everyday carry. If you're a concealed uh, carry license holder, you know, those, those are the ones that I think are the broadest sweeping. I mean, do you, in your opinion, feel that with things like an executive order or what have you would, you know, Biden have a leg to stand on to truly, you know, wipe out uh, all semi-automatic weapons? I think it would be very difficult for him to do it, especially through executive order. There are things that uh, a potential President Biden could do through executive order that would make it very difficult for the industry. Uh, it would make things very difficult, and honestly, for your everyday gun buyer um, to pass some of the sweeping reforms that that are espoused on his on his campaign page. Uh, really requires uh, a change of law. And this is even where we start to talk about some of the things with the 1934 NFA and trying to reclassify uh, semi-automatic firearms under that. Our view of that is that it would require con congressional action. So this is where the elections still aren't over. We have two runoff races happening in Georgia. And those really are going to be crucial to being able to be uh, a firewall to stopping anything that would want to be pushed by a Biden administration. So he could try to push for it. But as we've seen, Senator McConnell, the majority leader in the, in the U.S. Senate, should the Republicans maintain control of the Senate, has been very effective on ensuring that any of these ideolog ideologically driven uh, gun control measures uh, die at his doorstep. And, and that's that's kind of really where we're at now. We have to make sure we maintain control of the Senate 
So that way, any of these ideas that are being pushed by uh, Speaker Pelosi and the U.S. House of Representatives and being pushed by the administration uh, don't make it through the Senate. And, and, and that way, we can at least protect legislative agenda. Uh, it, rules that are, that are published uh, through regulation or through executive order, those can come and go. But once you put things into law, then it becomes very difficult to change. And even some of these things that he's talking about changing we believe are fundamentally unconstitutional. So we believe now with having uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett on the court, we, we believe now that we finally have the court that we need, that it, should we have to defend gun rights at the U.S. Supreme Court, then, then we'd be on solid ground to do that. Uh, you know, her, her decisions in, in some of her cases when she was at the U.S. Court of Appeals have shown that she has, she gives great deference to uh, originalism and to the, to the words that the founders wrote into the U.S. Constitution, rather than trying to give it an interpretation in today's language or today's sensibilities. She, she really puts stock in what did they say, what did those words mean at the time, and this is exactly what it means now, that these things are foundational to our understanding of law and building law on top of that. Yeah, absolutely. Good. You know, there, there's another thing that I think, Mark, I, that I've noticed and in travels or circles, and I don't just mean my close personal circle of friends. Obviously, we're probably birds of a feather, as you would say. But when I travel around, even northeast, uh, out west, it doesn't really matter. I have found, believe it or not, that firearms are probably the most uniting topic that I have with total strangers on airplanes and in businesses and interactions, even in restaurants, whatever, because I wear a lot of shirts that have a fax and firearms on it or whatever. And uh, I mean, from TSA agents to business interactions to pastors I've sat next to on airplanes that were drive, flying to Texas to buy a gun collection. And I, I literally have seen, I, I get the volatility of the topic, but I don't see it as polarized as Democrat, Republican, North, South, East, West, or racial. I find this actually to be an incredibly uniting topic. And I've had positive experiences with my interaction with people. And I am amazed at the number of people who own, now own, new owners, want to own. And I, I can tell you in years of interactions, I cannot even count, I can't think of any negative interactions with people that were gun-related topics. And I've met a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds. So when it goes to passing these things, I hear the saber rattling and I hear the, the volatile topics that they're throwing out. In the bottom of my heart, I still rest in the fact that I believe this is a uniting topic. I believe it is a core component of America. I believe there are a lot of veterans like you out there that are incredibly passionate about this topic. And I, I don't meet the people that are against these things in my typical day. So that leaves me somewhat encouraged that, no, this is really not going to happen. But when I see the news lately, there's a lot of things I didn't think would happen that are. So I still have a high degree of concern. I think it's a super serious topic, but that's where I get my peace of mind is the people I've met and how common it is. And Bobby, you're not wrong. And if we look at the at the background check figures, which of course is what we monitor to see kind of the health of the sales every month, um, we can see that through the end of October, we're waiting for, we're hoping today we'll see December's numbers come out. Um, or rather November's numbers come out. But through the end of, of November, through the end of October, there were 17.2 million background checks for the sale of a gun so far in 2020. That broke every previous record that we had ever had. The, pre the best year we had previous to that was 2016, another election year. Uh, and there were 15.7 million background checks for the sale of a gun. 
So we shattered that record at 17.2 million, still two months to go, which are usually kind of our, our healthiest months when it comes to sales because of the holidays, people buying as gifts, people saving up for the sales, wanting to make sure that they can get that firearm that they want for the end of the year. We did a retail survey because we wanted to understand as, as we saw firearm sales were, were really spiking in the spring with the onset of the COVID pandemic, the lockdown orders, the, the rioting and looting that was happening. We kind of wanted to understand, well, who is the market? We wanted to be able to tell you as manufacturers, tell the retailers, you know, this is who your market is. We did a survey of our retailers, <clears throat> excuse me. What we found was that 40% of the people buying guns today are women. We found that the largest demographic increase of any demographic group was among African-Americans. And that was a 58% increase from 2019 to 2020. But here's the most probably, I wouldn't say shocking, but the most revealing uh, figure was we estimate that 40% of the people buying guns today are first-time gun buyers. They were on the fence. So at 17.2 million, 7 million of these people are buying a gun for the very first time in 2020. And the interesting fact, we kind of talk about some of these antidotes and meeting people like this. I actually had the, had the opportunity to work a little bit with uh, Bill McGurn. Bill McGurn is a writer for the Wall Street Journal. He's on their editorial board. He's a, he's a frequent guest on Fox News. Uh, Bill McGurn was also a speechwriter for George W. Bush. Uh, Bill McGurn is in his late 50s, lives in northern New Jersey, and Bill actually wrote a column. We talked about it, and then he published his column uh, a little bit later, uh, Confessions of a First-Time Gun Buyer. And Bill grew up the son of an FBI agent, had been around guns his whole life. But in his world growing up, it was either really good guys who had guns or really bad guys who had guns. He never felt the need to own a gun until this year, until he saw what was happening around him and that his safety for him and his family really depended upon himself. So he made that decision that he was going to literally vote with his wallet and get off the fence and buy a gun and make sure that he could provide for his own safety and the safety of his family. That has been done more than 7 million times so far this year. And that really has shifted the dynamic the dynamic of everything. And I've been trying to tell media that I talk to, that's not just a shift. That is a tectonic shift. It, it changes the entire, entire uh, game field now that we're, that we're talking about. That Just kind of what you're saying, Bob, is that when we're having that conversation about firearm ownership, there has been a, a radical shift in where people believe 7 million people last year could talk about gun ownership as a theoretical idea. Well, now it's, in, now it's existential to them. Now they, they, have, they have gone from being able to talk about it at a cocktail party to now talking about it. I made this decision. There is now a firearm in my home. I made that choice to be able to be my own first responder and provide for the safety of my family and do that in a responsible and legal manner. So it really is a big change. Yeah. And I, and I think the data, if, if you really look back, even our first episode of this show earlier this year, which it's kind of poetic, we started this in February, uh, right before it all got real hairy, you know, but we were looking at, you know, who is a gun owner and kind of diving into the stereotype and, and, and reminding people that, um, even though there's reasons for stereotypes, it's, that's really only the tip of the iceberg as far as gun ownership goes, you know, looking at that historical data, even as, you know, early as like 2008, when people were pulled by Gallup or Pew or whomever, you know, there were all these folks who, you know, ascribed themselves as Republican, all these folks who described themselves as, as Democrats. And there's a huge wide swath, you know, in the middle. And what you find in that is a lot of people who weren't gun owners were simply saying, it's not that I'm against it. 
it's just like your example, uh, you know, it's just, I haven't had the felt need, um, or it wasn't really in our house growing up. So it's not like I, you know, brought one along with me when I moved out. And now what I think people are seeing is a felt need. You know, you go back to the beginning of the pandemic, you go back to the beginning of all the rioting and looting, uh, when we're talking about, uh, police response times are going to be lower uh, or higher, rather. And then also the fact that, uh, you know, the defund the police movement started coming about. And now people are like, OK, this need is here. And to your point, um, a lot of folks for the first times, us included, you know, we were getting emails and stuff asking about, hey, do you do contactless door delivery? Uh, and it's like, no, that's that's not how buying a gun works. There is more to it uh, to legally purchase a firearm than what, you know, popular culture has led you to believe, especially in places, you know, like Chicago or L.A. County or, or what have you. We're we're pretty good here in Ohio. I think we, we get to exercise our 2A rights a little uh, heftier than most, but there's still background checks that need to go through. There are still the transfers that have to go through from your online retailer to your local FFL back to you. You know, there's a lot more to it that I think people are finally getting their eyes open to. It just, will that be enough people, enough of a push forward for, you know, future legislation, be it at the local or federal level? You're right. And we, and we saw some of this anecdotally uh, happen, especially in some of those stricter gun control states as the as the surge in, in purchases was happening. Um, we were hearing from FFLs and I, I literally spoke to one uh, retailer in California who said that he had customers standing at his counter uh, and they were standing there peeling off hundred dollar bills saying, what is it going to take for me to be able to walk out with this firearm today? And the FFL telling them, get out of my store right now. The state law is I can't transfer this firearm to you until 10 days after you fill out all the paperwork. I'll put it on the shelf. You come back in 10 days and I'll give it to you. Um, but they couldn't understand why. They said, listen, I've never had a parking ticket in my entire life. Why do I have to wait? I'm not a criminal. Well, these are the these are the people that you elected that, that put these laws into place. And I think some people start to realize that these laws don't do anything to reduce crime. In fact, all they do is punish you as a law-abiding gun owner, but don't address the problem of criminal misuse of firearms at all. So we'll see as, as people start to go in, uh, how they're gonna react to that. And if we look at the elections this year, of course, I've seen some of the other side, well, if, if Biden in fact is declared the final winner of this when the electoral college meets, uh, then, then obviously gun control is a mandate. And I would argue that that didn't happen. And, and if we look at the congressional elections, uh, all predictions were is that uh, the House was going to gain more Democratic seats uh, and that we were going to see a possible flip of the Senate. When, in fact, we didn't see that happen. We saw a gain of, of nearly 20 seats of Republicans in the in the U.S. House of Representatives. So that mandate was actually covered. We saw some very vocal uh, pro-gun uh, candidates win office. And, and I think right off the top of my head, you look at uh, Congresswoman-elect Boebert out of California, out of Colorado. Uh, you know, she she owns a restaurant called Shooter's Grill. She was on on camera talking about, uh, you know, the fact that she wants to make sure she keeps herself armed and, and safe around uh, around her community. And that was one of the one of the campaign uh, platforms that she she was talking about as she was going forward. And now she's actually petitioning Capitol Hill police to be able to make sure that she can carry her firearm 
inside the U.S. Capitol while she's there. The only place in the U.S. Capitol a member of Congress can't carry a firearm is actually on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives or on the floor of the Senate. And so she's trying to make sure that she can be able to exercise her Second Amendment rights as a member of Congress when she's sworn in in, in uh, January. So we've seen some of this. It's, it's been a little bit mixed. We've seen that people want a divided government and they want to check in the balance on some of these things. So I don't believe that gun control has the mandate that they want. And kind of going back a little bit to what you said, Bob, we kind of talked about some of those, those enlightening conversations from out and about in America. And, and we start to talk to our neighbors. Uh, one of the things that, as you were talking about that, it reminded me of Bill, is, is after Bill told me that he was going to publish his column, The Confessions of a First-Time Gun Buyer, uh, I said, Bill, the interesting thing is going to be now is when you start to explain to your neighbors, so those people that you've known for years, so you go to church with, that you just bought a gun. And of course, they're going to see your name, they're going to see the column, and they're going to realize that, yes, you're making this a public uh, public uh, event. Um, I said, you'll be surprised at how many people tell you, oh, yeah, by the way, I own a gun too. And he said, it's already happening. And that's one of the things I caution about when we see some of these Gallup polls, they talk about, well, gun ownership seems to be remaining static. And for years, it's always seemed like it's been about one third of America, one out of three Americans say they have a firearm in a home. Well, I think if you were going to call my house and, and just cold call me and ask, hey, I'd like to talk to you about your guns, I'm going to hang up on you. I'm not going to talk to you about it. Um, so I think a lot of gun owners self-select out of these surveys and because it is a private matter. We don't want our information to be out there because, one, we don't want our families and our homes to be a target for crime. But, two, the Second Amendment is a fundamental right that the government doesn't have a, have a need to interfere with. And so we want to, we're going to be a little bit protective of that right, and we want to make sure that we're not going to allow others to exploit that. So I think firearm ownership is... It's kind of like what you're saying, Bob. It's a little bit more common than some people realize. I think a lot of people are just very quiet about it. Yeah. I think I, I want to go back to maybe something that was mentioned earlier, and it is all the new gun owners, all all the new gun owners. And being part of an industry, and and really this is a question I'll I'll throw to you. When I look at the amount of new gun owners and the sense of security they're trying to purchase in a box to say my family is now safe, it, it concerns me at that level. Um, I believe that it's very critical that people go out and practice, I think especially with a pistol. The ability to be proficient with a pistol is a perishable skill in my opinion, certainly is with me. And I know ammunition is at all time high, which is another upsetting fact. But one thing I do wanna say as a manufacturer, it's, it's not just a very glorious thing that we're over ecstatic about selling a lot of guns. That's really not because the derivative of it is not always pure. The, the fear that people have in this country shouldn't even be there to begin with. The reality of them owning the firearm absolutely is. Them wanting to purchase it, I'm all for. I hate the fact that they're so motivated by what they see in the news. It, it concerns me. The second thing is I think a lot of people buy that firearm, they put it in their, their dresser and they say, oh, I'm safe now, I have a gun. And, and the first question I would ask them is, when do most things happen that you would be worried about? At night, do you have a flashlight near your gun? Is it safely secured in your home? These are things that I, I bought the gun, I get one check mark. But unfortunately, in my opinion, I don't think that's enough check marks to say we're responsibly growing in our gun community and being able to utilize these tools for either the social aspect, which I very much enjoy, or truly the purpose that they can fulfill, which is your personal defense and taking care of your family. So is the NSSF and as facts and firearms, that is one of my concerns. Do you, do you, do you 
acknowledge that aspect, agree? And is there things that we as an industry should be doing to continue and promote this training and the use of these firearms past the sale? Yeah, absolutely. We, we are at, we're, we're all in when it comes to firearm safety and, and the responsibility that we have as law-abiding gun owners and the responsibility we have as industry. And of course, NSSF, we are the trade association that represents you as the manufacturer. So, so we're, we're able to just kind of carry the water for the concerns that you have. And, and these are the things that we do. Um, so when we talk about uh, new gun owners and new gun buyers, we, we share that concern. You should be getting out and you should train. You should learn how to use that firearm. And, and I try to tell everyone, Firearm safety, the real firearm safety expert in your community is your local gun retailer and your local gun range. Get down there, talk to those five, talk to those folks, those men and women that are behind the counter and ask them. And some of that conversation starts with the firearm purchase. And I know a lot of retailers really take that seriously to take the time to explain uh, what the safety features are about that firearm, to explain what it is, that gun lock that comes in the sale of every gun that's included out there. Uh, but also talk about what their storage options are. And that's that's one of our pro foundational programs is to Project Child Safe. We have partnered with law enforcement agencies, 15,000 law enforcement agencies in all 50 states. We've passed out 38 million free firearm safety kits, which includes a gun lock in every one of those kits. Uh, and we will do that because we want to make sure that every firearm that's not in use or being carried is locked up and is inaccessible to people who should not have their hands on it. And that's, that's whether that's a, a small child or whether that's a prohibited individual or someone who may be suffering through a mental health crisis. So we want to make sure that those firearms are stored safely. And that cable lock is just one option. And it's really the most basic option. And we understand that as you grow and as, as, as your family grows, those needs for safe storage are going to change over time. When I was a single guy, my safe storage needs were very simple. And after I got married, started to have kids, and especially small children, my, my storage needs became much different. And I had to adapt to those storage needs as that time changed. And as my children grew and became adults, those storage needs again adapted. And now that I'm at a point now where my, my first grandchild has been born and I'm going to have a, a, a little child running around my house again, I need to take that time to, to reassess my storage needs. So we're encouraging every gun owner, who's, whether they're uh, brand new in 2020 or whether they've owned guns for 20 years, always be assessing your storage needs and make sure that you're addressing those needs that are going to meet your needs. And so you can be able to access that firearm when it's needed, but make sure that it is inaccessible to those who should never have their hands on it. The other thing we, we actually encourage, get out to the range. Not only get out to the range, take someone with you. And that's kind of where we have the responsibility as those who have already owned guns for a long time is to kind of make ourselves available to those people. We have to kind of take a minute back. We were all first time gun owners. We were all first time shooters at one time. And we had a lot of questions. We had a lot of things that we just didn't know that maybe we take for granted now because we've learned those over the years. And some of that is the, is the four basic safety rules of firearms. Uh, so we want to make sure that we're teaching that next generation of gun owners how to be a responsible generation of gun owners. So we should be out inviting them to go to the range with us. And, and I understand it. ammunition is short. It might be because there's 7 million new gun owners out there trying to shoot their firearms. Uh, I know that at my local range, classes are booked out well past the new year. Um, so it, it's difficult to get into classes, which we know is an issue, but we're all trying to you know tackle it the best we can. But make sure that we're doing our best to help be a good neighbor and, and be be someone who's going to teach the the sport of recreational shooting and safe firearm handling to those who really need to know it. So get out there with them. Make sure they understand how to how to manipulate the safety and, and, and to put it on and off. How to load and unload that firearm safely. How to store that firearm safely. 
and get somebody out there shooting. I think Bob, you could probably say, but Dustin Bob, you probably agree with me when I say it. I have never left the range without a smile on my face. And I've never taken anybody to the range, especially a first time shooter who didn't take that first shot and realize, see that, you know, a little hole in that paper show up and then say, okay, this is fun. And so you know, take somebody out there, share, share what we love. I have to tell you, one of my favorite things, and as you can imagine in our position, I get a chance to take a lot of new shooter shooting. And I've I've had the privilege of shooting with some very capable, experienced firearms handlers. But my highest enjoyment is new shooters. And I took my mother-in-law in her 70s for the first time ever. And we started with a 22, suppressed to keep it quiet. And we went, we ended up with an A-rack in a 223-556. And the neatest thing, and you'll attest to this, Mark, when they pull that trigger, the first thing you do is be careful. They're going to turn around with that gun. So watch them, <laughs> right? They're going to, I'm so excited. Yeah. Yep. But the yep. first thing that happens is a smile. And mm -hmm. it's an accomplishment over something they perceived or thought it would or wouldn't be. And when they pull that trigger, the first time shooters and those people, I don't care if they're, they're little kids or if they're full grown adults, first time shooters turn around. There is a smile of success that they have. And, and that, that you hit the nail on the head when you were talking about it. And to me, that's worth the, pro, the cost of the ammunition, even at today's prices. Yeah. 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 yeah even, and and, that, and that's, that's kind of my deal to every time anybody wants to go shooting every, everyone that I come across, I'll always, you could shoot my firearms. I'll clean them. I'll pay for the first, first day's worth of ammunition. We can go out shooting. I just want you to get over the fears, get over the concerns that you have, whatever frame you want to shoot, we'll take it out and shoot. And we're just gonna have a good time. We're not going to worry about marksmanship so much. We're not going to worry about scores. We're going to worry about making sure that you can safely handle that firearm and that you can put a hole in that paper and you can walk away proud knowing that you were able to, you know, master this, this technique and be able to have fun at, at a very, you know, a very important skill to be able to, to handle a firearm safely and effectively. Yeah, there's one there's one piece there that you hit about, you know, sometimes it's, uh, you know, the retailers or the trainers in the communities that, you know, really need to be opening up and encouraging people to come in for this. And and where you are is very similar to where we are. You know, we even have uh, uh, vendors of ours who are just down the street who, you know, are totally booked up, whether it's for a concealed carry class or whether it's for a basic firearm safety class. Um, and a little shameless plug for early, you know, earlier episodes of the show. Luckily, one of our uh, sales associates here is a NRA certified instructor. So we've done a couple of videos on the podcast about the four basic rules and about safe firearm storage. And we'll link those in the show notes. But one of the things that has continued to come up guest after guest that I've had on is also the personal prowess that you have as the gun owner uh, to be welcoming these people in because all of us have gotten phone calls this year or Facebook messages or whatever. Hey, you're kind of a gun guy. Uh, I'm going to be buying my first gun. Uh, you, what do I do? You know, yeah. and, and, and the, the hard part that we get to is it takes a person, that new person, a certain amount of bravery to be yeah. able to step up and make the decision, let alone reach out for help. So are we doing the best we can to be welcoming and inviting in of those people, get them the resources they need, take them to a range, uh, and, and understand too that these are going to be new folks who aren't in this every day like we are. You know, one of the things that I do see um, and the various, you know, social media channels and, and forums and everything is a lot of 
gun owners punching bagging each other. Mm -hmm. You know, oh, I'd never own that or I'd never do this or oh, that's dumb and blah, blah, blah. And we've we've merged and blurred the lines of something that's objectively good and bad or objectively right and wrong uh, with subjective preferences. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, yeah, this manufacturer may not be your favorite. This type of trigger may not be your favorite. This type of round may not be your favorite. But you got to understand that this is someone new. You want to get them into something that's going to be reliable and, and safe to handle, but there's going to be a lot more wiggle and gray room as they get acclimated because, like you said, we were all first-time gun owners at one point, and over time, you develop your tastes and preferences, you know, whether that's for your home defense gun, your hunting gun, your concealed carry gun, you know, and, and that is a little bit of my concern, have we as a community, because we, Faxon, the NSSF, every dealer in the world could make as much content and classes as they want. But if we as a community of gun owners aren't going to be welcoming of these newcomers, then we're throwing up a hurdle where a hurdle doesn't need to be. And you're right, Dustin. It's about reducing the barriers to entry. And those are some of the things that we've been trying to do as an industry to help manufacturers and try to help the retailers uh, be able to make themselves a little bit more accessible. It's why we created National Shooting Sports Month every August to, to get people out to the range, invite somebody new and challenge us gun owners to grow another uh, grow another recreational shooter or grow another hunter and, and replace us uh, down the road. But, but part of, you're, you're exactly right. When we talk about being inviting, uh, my wife and I like to have the joke of, uh, it's I call it the hey little lady complex. Uh, my wife's also a former Marine. Uh, so when we walk into a retailer or we walk into a range, uh, you know, pretty much people could size me up fairly quickly, uh, but they don't size my wife up fairly quickly and don't realize that she grew up in Texas. She grew up around firearms. And she grew, she was also a Marine. She, she's very familiar with, with shooting as well. Um, so, uh, I, I kind of hearken it back. She, when we lived in South Carolina, uh, we were getting our concealed carry permits there. And she had an instructor who she was using my 45, my 1911 to, to, to go through the class. And the instructor in that class looked at the 1911 and said, you know, it's a lot of gun for a little lady. And we just kind of laughed about it. She's like, I'll be okay. She outshot everybody, including the instructor when it came to the live fire portion of the class. So he naturally made an assumption that, well, here's a woman who is first time shooter, can't handle a, a 45. It's a big round. Well, she, she had already, she kind of knew she just let her, her work do the talking for her. Um, but again, it's, it's one of those things that we can easily turn somebody off, but that kind of attitude, we can have the nine millimeter debate and, and 45 debate all day long. We can talk about, you know, whether, you know, a Benelli or a Beretta is going to be a better shotgun for upland hunting or duck hunting, or we can go on and on about what, what frame of AR we like the best, what barrel length and what, what trigger pull and, and, and what drop in trigger we want to put in. That's great for us to do that. But like you said, let's just get these people in the door. Don't even worry about that background noise. Just invite them. Just buy the first box of rounds for them, invite them in, and, and remember what it was and how exciting it was to be invited to go to shoot for your first time, whether that was with your dad or your mom or it was with your neighbor or an uncle, to be able to step into that world and be welcomed into that. 
was was huge for us. And, and we need to make that just as exciting for those who are trying to come into uh, being a fire motor or a recreation shoot today. So it really is on us to how do we want to be perceived? And I, I want to be welcoming. So maybe it's maybe it's not the best time to, to throw out the Molan Lobby tattoo, but maybe <laughs> it's it's a good time to, to say, hey, listen, don't even worry about it. I'll take care of it. You can shoot my gun. I'll buy the first, first box of rounds. And when we're done, I'll buy you lunch too. Yeah. The only thing is, though, I, I like the debate on the nine and the forty-five. I like the Benelli and the Beretta, but we can't debate if you buy a barrel, it has to be a Faxon barrel. There's no debate on that. <laughs> that that's your barrel you want to buy. Endorsed by the NSSF. Yeah, we, 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 have to, we have to agree on that. The rest of it, fair game. Fair game. Yeah, that's that. I I, I do. I think that's huge. It, it's going to take these people, and it has taken these people a lot of of bravery and humility to be able to ask a question and, and we got to make sure that we're not making people feel bad, uh, you know, for asking a question. And, you know, some people I equate it to like getting your first car. Some people get a freaking awesome first car and they want to keep it forever. They're sad. They sold it or wrapped it around a tree. And some people like me get a junkie first car and you never want to have it or see of it again. And the same thing could happen with a gun. You get your first gun. Maybe that is the one that you love forever and you hold it dear and it is a family heirloom and others might be, yeah, that made sense then, but that would be a mistake now, you know, for, for my needs, my tastes, my preferences, it isn't exactly kind of what I've, what I've grown to get used to or be comfortable with. And yeah, uh, yeah so making sure that we as a community, as, as much as some of us like to be grizzled and set in our ways on it, there's a whole new wave of people here that are going to help encourage um, uh, that the second amendment lives on and thrives on like it should. And uh, really we, we need everybody we can to be living life that way. Yep. I know there, there's another aspect of the rifles too. I, I think that you, you mentioned it, your first shooting experience, whether it's your dad, your grandpa, or you're taking your kids or that whole experience is priceless to me. And I've had a lot of those opportunities, really, really a big deal. But I also think that like that first gun that you were talking about, Dustin, I have my Daisy BB gun, 1894 <laughs> saddle ring, plastic <laughs> stock that I broke over a tree going through the woods, a little bit, a little crack. But I have that gun in my office vault to this day and uh, still the best gun I ever had. But but uh, I have moved on and do have others since then. But, uh, you know, there is a fondness to that. And guns are one of those things where you not only can enjoy, but they hold their value typically. I'm not trying to say they're an investment, but they're not the dumbest place in the world to put some money that you can enjoy, have fun, fellowship with that item and really not have a hugely depreciating item typically. So as far as the financial responsibility of guns and where you buy them and should you buy one, should you buy five, 10, it's a personal, personal issue, but it's not like you're wasting the money either. And then if you can take that tool or that, that, that device and share it with people and have those priceless memories, to me, it's no different than a boat or any other thing where people say, you're building memories, right? You're building memories when you camp, you're building memories when you're outside, you're building memories when you hunt. And when I talk to people, the, the, the neatest thing I hear is they say, yeah, that was my dad's gun. My dad gave me that gun or my grandfather had that gun and my dad gave it to me. You wouldn't believe the number of stories that go through like that. So when, and, and this is not a plug, but I think when gun companies, including us, do make a firearm, you know, our whole attitude is, that is a generational device. That is not a disposable commodity. And, and we should be building and engineering all the industry should be building those things to be handed down to grandkids. And, and that's a silly thought when you open it at the box because nobody thinks about 40 years from now when you 
take that new gun and shoot it. But in reality, how many times does that happen? And, and I think that's one of the coolest things about it, you know, and what, what happens is when you talk to a person who's been given a gun by someone they care about, their grandpa, this is my dad's gun, my grandpa's gun, the, 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 the value, the sentimental and the personal value of a piece of metal, a device that's non-human, the memories that it brings back becomes priceless. And you can hear it in their voice when they talk about it. So when you talk about supporting the shooting, sporting community and the benefits of it, look, we can, you know, with the news, it's pretty easy to go into the topics of why people are buying guns. I get it. And, 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 and I believe they should. I think they should definitely have the right. But I also think that on a normal day, there's so much good to talk about with firearms and guns and pistols and shotguns and hunting and rifles and the things you can do with them, the people you do it with and the times that you share are literally priceless. And that's what the best part, I think what we make. And God forbid, if you use a product that we make or anyone else makes, you may someday need it for its, its, its design purpose. And I am totally for having it when you need it. As I said, I'd rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. But uh, my, my, my bent is that social side. My, my bent is, is the memories you make with firearms. And, and it, you're right. I mean, and I'll give a few examples because they're not your competitors, Bob. Uh, I have in my gun safe uh, a shotgun that belonged to my wife's grandfather. It's a Montgomery Ward shotgun. Montgomery Ward. Who even knows these days that Montgomery Ward used to sell shotguns? I How about have, Sears selling Tommy guns? Yeah, right? Yeah, I, Get them in a catalog. I have, I have my dad's, I have my dad's uh, Winchester 3030 lever action rifle, Classic. which is, so, which is so old. It, it's before they had the crossbar safety. So, uh, and I have my own 3030, which has that safety, but to have my dad's rifle, the one that he harvested deer with, that to me is really cool. And I like to be able to take that gun, even if all I do is just see, even if I don't see it, just to have that gun in the woods, to know that my dad carried this gun into the woods when he was out hunting is something that, that I enjoy. Now, the guns I'm buying today look much different than the guns that my dad and my grandfather's bought. Uh, but those are guns that I'm going to give to my son and my, my grandson someday. My, my daughter's going to have those guns. But they're going to be able to carry those legacies forward. And I want them to have those same kind of warm memories. Uh, you know, the fact that I'm shooting with suppressors now is a little bit different. The fact that I'm shooting with optics that just weren't available uh, when my dad was out hunting. The technology has changed. But the use of these firearms still remains the same. And I want them to be able to have those same kind of memories. So it, it means the world to me to be able to have those in my safe and to be able to use those firearms uh, when I'm out in the woods. But it also means the world to me to know that when I'm buying a new firearm, it's just like you said, I'm thinking that this isn't just a firearm that I'm going to use. This is a firearm that someday I'm going to give to my children and they're going to give to their children. I'm holding on to a 22 rifle that was from my, my wife's other grandfather's uh, and they've both since passed away. But I've got a 22 rifle that belonged to him that I, I've told my daughter, all I'm doing is a care I'm just a caretaker of this rifle. That someday when your son is old enough, this is his rifle. And then we'll go learn to shoot this rifle together. So those are the kind of legacies that you build. One of the greatest things I was able to do, my, my grandson was born last year. He's just over a year old. I bought him his lifetime hunting and fishing license in the state that he's in. And, and my, my, I took my son-in-law out. He harvested his first deer this past year. So it was great to be able to have that memory. My son-in-law loves to fish and wants to be able to hunt. So I was able to, to kind of bring him into the world of hunting. He owns a few firearms of his own. And, and now I know, that, and I've told him, I said, as long as you are able to enjoy the outdoors with your son, that's what I want for you. And I want him to have his license to be able to do that uh, for the rest of his life. So you're building into those 
those generations that are coming behind you, a love and appreciation for the outdoors, love and appreciation for the resources, and a love and appreciation for the freedoms that we all enjoy as Americans. Well put. Well put. I I think you showcased the topic right there. Well, uh, before we get going, where can people find out more about the NSSF and and what you guys have uh, going on and some of those resources that you were talking about earlier? Sure. So uh, at NSSF.org, you're able to go on and see what we offer. Again, we are a trade association for all our, for the manufacturers, rifle, uh, for uh, manufacturers, ranges, retailers, uh, some of your distributors, uh, and some of your actually outdoor riders belong to us as well. Uh, They're part of, they're part of our membership. Um, But the stuff that we're talking about, the kind of the topics of the day, especially when it comes to firearm policy and the things that are being discussed on Capitol Hill and the things that are being discussed in the state capitals when it comes to gun laws. If you click on the media tab on there, it will take you to to that information. But you can also find uh, more information on if we're talking about getting out new shooters. I don't know where I need to go shoot. We have a website called wheretoshoot.org or wheretohunt.org. Help people get started with what they need to know to be able to get out to the range and get somebody out there. Uh, we have one additional website that I'll, I'll plug out there. It's called NSSFRealSolutions.org. And that talks about all of our safety programs. Like I talked about Project Child Safe, our suicide intervention programs, our, our Operation Secure Store programs to help fire retailers become a little bit more of a harder target to these people who are doing these smash and grabs and stealing firearms to victimize their communities. Uh, so all these things that we're doing as an industry to, to be responsible and safe uh, neighbors and to, to provide real solutions to real problems that we know are effective uh, rather than having someone paper on top of laws that don't do anything but just kind of chip away at our rights. Uh, these are our efforts. We will make sure people understand what we're doing and, and how we're going about doing that. Very good. Well, Mark, thank you so much for being on with us. We'll definitely put all those links in the show notes this week. uh, So you can find that at factsandfirearms.com slash blog and click on episode 44. All of those links will be there as well as uh, links to current giveaways and so on. So thank you so much for being on with us today. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, guys. Yeah, it was was a pleasure. I appreciate it. And, And get someone else shooting with you. I look forward to seeing you out there in the woods and on the ranges. Sounds good. Will do. I think it goes without saying that uh, pretty much every gun owner has their favorite tools, their favorite things that they like to keep in their range bag or at their workbench. Uh, And it's no secret for us that the Wheeler Fat Wrench is one of those. We have several of these up in our assembly area with our armory technicians. And it's because it's a simple, great device uh, that can be used in multiple applications. It's an adjustable torque wrench in a screwdriver type fashion with a series of bits that'll help you with everything from rifle takedown to scope mounting and everything in between. Fantastic tool. Uh, So if you haven't checked these out, you can go to wheelertools.com and they're available in a ton of places, including amazon.com. But make sure you check it out, especially if you're looking for that one missing piece for your workbench or you want to give it to a uh, new gun owner to help set up their range bag. Definitely a great choice. Again, check out our friends at wheelertools.com and take a look at the fat wrench. Well, welcome back to another installment of Jay's World of Eats. Uh, This episode this week is brought to you by our friends at Lockdown, hence the giant lockdown box here. We're going to be giving away a uh, in plain sight shelf this week, Jay Bird. I like having a little divider in between us, Dustin. Yeah, it's just for COVID safety. Yeah, 
Right. Uh, but I don't Just know. so I don't have to look at you. <laughs> that too. You disgust me. I know you probably put like a little post-it on your screen when you rewatch these. It's right over <laughs> right, my face. Right over your face. Um, but uh, one of the in plain sight shelves, these things are awesome. They just masquerade as a regular shelf in your house, but uh, they have pegs and things inside. You could store valuables, your firearm, uh, what have you. Works really great with the lockdown puck or even by itself. This particular one is in a plain white finish, uh, which they say is easily paintable if you want to paint it to match your interior but if you're looking uh, for uh, some more storage options we totally recommend you check out our friends at lockdown their website is right in the show notes of uh, each episode so make sure you check them out visit factsandfirearms.com slash blog and click on episode 44 for all the ways to enter for the in plain sight shelf i think i May need to get those so I can hide some precious snacks around mm, the house. Some precious deep, uh, deep sea treats yeah, from beyond. Not till June. And I'll just tell her I installed new shelves, but don't explain that they're every time you press compartments. Them, yeah, you press it and the bottle yeah. of MSG comes out, light yeah, shining right. on it. <laughs> right, I can hide all my precious snacks from her. <laughs> It's a really good idea. Solid idea. Yeah, solid. Very solid. Yeah, very. Well, uh, Jay, Thanksgiving went well for you. Yeah. This is our first show back after the the giving of thanks. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Um, we uh, cooked to-go meals for the whole family, mm-hmm. um, which was uh, actually more difficult than cooking dinner. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. you got a portion and package. You have to portion and package. And we gave people like, um, pickup time. And, uh, you know, when they're at the house, you can just tell them, Hey, dinner's not ready. Wait another half hour. But when you tell them, Hey, come over between three thirty and four. Yeah. You better be ready. Yeah. Between three thirty and four. Yeah. Especially uh, for your family. Right. Yeah. Right. So demanding. So that was, um, it was a little, trying but um smoked a turkey Mm -hmm. uh it was very good um very happy with it yeah made some delicious stuffing brussels sprouts very good yeah yeah like that well we all hopped on the train because we got excited this year after smoking the turkey for the thanksgiving special so me (laughs) you and ryan fax and all smoked turkeys Oh, did Pat? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Pat Murphy did too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, a bunch of us smoked turkeys on our various, uh, various grilling devices. Uh, so yeah. thanks again to Camp Chef for hooking us up for the Thanksgiving special for that. Uh, don't forget, you could go to factsandfirearms.com slash blog and click on Thanksgiving because all the stuff we put on there is going to be good for your Christmas gathering as well. So, yeah. You know, I saw in Pat, Pat sent me a picture of his, or uh, maybe it was on a Snapchat story. Who knows? Uh, he doesn't send me pictures. Who am I kidding? Uh, his camp chef has a nice little blanket for it. Yeah. He told me about that for like when it's really cold or whatever outside, it helps keep the heat insulated. Right. And it sort of looks, looks fun. Like, you know, when you put a like vest on your dog, Yeah, you know, like (laughs) it's a good, it's a grill koozie. (laughs) Yeah. It's wearing like a little vest, you know? Uh, So, uh, that's awesome. I was pretty impressed with that. That is very impressive. Yeah. A little vest. Yeah. Well, don't forget to check out our friends at Camp Chef. Uh, they are with us on expert voice. So if you are, Uh, kind of in that outdoor space or your military law enforcement, you're looking for discounts on products from everything from Faxon to, uh, uh, to Camp Chef. Make sure you check uh, both of us out on Expert Voice. Uh, take our little training modules. I believe that's where Pat 
commandeered yeah. his uh, his camp chef stuff. So make sure you check that out. So Jaybird, what do you got in the old snack sack? Well, today? Dustin, my snack today is a plug to get me an invitation somewhere. Okay. So I have a sort of MRE. I have okay. a civilian packed MRE, right? Mm-hmm. So it doesn't get the nice uh, super thick brown uh, bag uh, and it's you know, it doesn't have some of the cardboard boxing in it, but uh, otherwise, I think it's pretty similar. Uh, this is, I don't know if this particular one is or not, but um, hopefully made by uh, Warnick, uh, a company in, one of your cameras just die on me, Dustin? I think your close-up camera might have died on <laughs> You know, this is really like, this is just typical. You give me a close-up camera without Well, I just got done recording with Bob and like, it's been a long day. It's been a long day. I swap batteries. I'm still going to stare at it. It's probably dead. You're probably filming over there and I'm staring at this. No, that one's gone. So anyway, Warnick, Cincinnati company, uh, one of the major producers of MREs, um, I want a tour. Yeah. I want to go to Warnick. So we're going to tag Warnick. We're going to send them the podcast. Uh, Hello, Warnick. I don't know if this is yours. I hope it is. I really hope it is. Um, But uh, I really want to tour the MRE factory. That sounds fun. Yeah. So uh, I don't know that we're going to eat all this uh, because this does have some serious calorie count and it is now after lunch mm-hmm. and uh jay's on the downward i ate a spiral. bunch of uh stuffing and turkey for lunch so you know i don't know that i'm actually gonna get to the chili mac here uh but uh you know i thought maybe we'd eat some snacks out of it yeah. dustin don't eat this this is the uh flameless the ration flameless heater. ration heater is that the uh, thing so, like you mix with water or whatever yeah. it gets hot yeah exactly a little sleeve to put in you know very exciting items i love the plastic they use you know i really wish everything came with this really nice thick plastic yeah you know it's really like so it could know. survive the elements of right, your pantry right right so we got chili mac a spoon. Got some salt. Not on my camera that's out of batteries. Whatever. Moist towelette. Mm-hmm. You know, I really like moist towelettes. Whoever invented moist towelettes, that's off. We'll tag you too. Tootsie roll. Ooh, apple jelly. Apple jelly sounds pretty good, doesn't it, Dustin? That does sound good crackers just you regular crackers and a pop tart and a pop tart which uh my wife did say i wasn't allowed to share with you dustin she wants me to bring home the pop tart so uh you're killing me <laughs> sorry dustin you just made me think of <laughs> inventor voice talent what was the movie was it clueless or mean girls what is it she goes my father the inventor of uh Oh, what was that quote? Is it the inventor of the fruit roll up or something like that would be very disappointed. Ah, I can't remember. Uh, I don't remember this right, one. You, you wax poetic on your uh, crackers here. Man, look uh, at this giant cracker. Look at this. It's a wafer. Yeah, man. Oh, God. Let's see if I the seem to machine. have gotten crackers all over your floor, Dustin. Oh, that's so, okay. Oh, oh, toaster strudel. 
Hmm. That's right. I don't think my father, the inventor of toaster, toaster strudel, <laughs> would be too pleased with this. I do love toaster strudels. That's also good. What is this? Is this the cracker? Yeah. Needs a little jelly. A little huefa. Mm-hmm. So, so these are some of the things your dad would pack you for lunch? Yeah. So, um, <laughs> right. I definitely got this from my dad. <laughs> my dad would send us with MREs all the time. Um, I really like MREs. I've eaten a ton of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think that, you know, all the little accessories, the drink packs, you know. Yeah. The little snacks. I mean, it's obviously very efficient and well done. Apple jelly. How much is cracker. a standard MRE run you? I don't know, what actually. cost a few bucks? I don't know. We'd have to look it up. I have no idea. We've done a lot of prep for this segment. <laughs> you know, prep is <laughs> prep is definitely something I do for this segment, mm-hmm. Dustin. Yes, that's right. It's very important. This is a very important part of my job. Yes. Yeah, this segment yeah. definitely important. Yeah. Definitely yeah. willing to spend time this outside will- <laughs> of the 15 minutes I'm sitting here. <laughs> this will be in your performance review, yeah. Jay. Yeah, I uh, I do. I think they're funny. I just remember seeing like uh, like there was a pretty big outlet store like in the next town from me growing up and they would have you know like army surplus type stuff and they you know would have mres and things in there what it always reminds me of though is uh space ice cream you ever had space ice cream i love i love astronaut ice cream oh it's so good it's incredible yeah being a columbus native kosai uh is right up there and they sold overinflated uh priced uh space ice cream up there it's so good it's such a gift shop treat but it is uh that's what it's so expensive though it is so abusively expensive it's like you have to just be like like the richest of the rich to yeah. eat space ice cream. You're yeah, just you're just like, like the, the the creators of space ice cream are just like Scrooge McDuck just diving uh, into yeah. a vault full of coins and right. well, space ice cream. Right. I mean, as a kid, I think I always thought that, you know, due to space ice cream's inflated price, like the only people who could afford it probably could also afford space travel. <laughs> exactly. You know, so, so. Elon Musk, he gets, right. he probably eats lots of space I ice cream. I bet he does. Oh, I, just I bet, bet he, he a, eats it all day. Just a whole big briefcase. You think it's full of important stuff for <laughs> SpaceX and it's actually yeah. space ice cream. You know, I went to uh, Wright Pat Air Force Base uh, within the past year or so. They have an entire exhibit on um, astronaut food. They have like yeah. an entire section of the exhibit on it. It was really cool. Yeah, you know, it was really cool seeing what the the astronaut food looked like over the decades. Yeah, it looks pretty depressing right there at the start. You yeah. Know? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. Th- that's the thing. Whenever because uh, I love uh, Wright Pat. If if you guys are from Ohio or around the tri state, yeah. you know that it's the so uh, cool. the Museum of the United States Air Force mm-hmm. at Wright Patterson Air Force Base um, is uh, just about I don't know forty five minute drive from us, yeah. hourish drive, and. Um, Amazing displays take you all the way through, you know, the beginning of flight. And then it kind of goes by each big like war era, you know, taking you all the way through to modern day. And they have a big (laughs) space. Zoo animal. Yeah, they have a big space exhibit. And this past year, that did you see the one where they had the one for the anniversary of the moon hmm. landing? It does. Sound. I got a napkin Look in my. Uh, uh, what about a moist towelette? Oh man, moist towelette. 
Perfect. I'm just a mess. What am I doing? Now, do you really like the space stuff? Because you're, you're a you're a moon landing denier, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> Conspiracy theorist, you're like it. Because some of that stuff to me looks crazy scary. There's no way. You know when you're a kid and you're like, oh, I want to be an astronaut when I grow up. I saw like one display of this is what it's like in the cockpit of a shuttle, and I'm like, nope. <laughs> Out. <laughs> nothing. Not gonna you know, do it. I like the space stuff and I don't feel like it conflicts with my belief that we didn't actually land on the moon. Uh you know, I, I'm impressed with the props. I'm impressed <laughs> with the the lengths they went to to convince us that we did. Um oh my gosh. you know, down to designing the food that they claimed the astronauts <laughs> were eating. <laughs> Well, you know, well, is this because you grew up in Cincinnati and Neil Armstrong's down here or was and you kind of have already punched a guy one time when they said something to him about it, (laughs) about Neil Armstrong. I I, I heard Neil Armstrong punched a guy. one time. I think it was Buzz Aldrin. Oh, was it Buzz? I heard it was Buzz Aldrin who like came up and confronted him. And I think Buzz Aldrin just gave him the old one, too. Yeah. because <laughs> yeah, he was uh because armstrong when he retired he he was a professor down at uc for a long time wasn't yeah he? yeah i'd love to have buzz aldrin punch me <laughs> i really <laughs> we would could turn that into a podcast <laughs> I really would. that's right so mre manufacturers we yeah. want to call right pat we want to call buzz aldrin you know i bet the roswell ufo had some pretty good food on it i'm sure it did i'm sure it did all the probing and whatever yeah. they do yeah yeah, right. I do uh, one more thing while we dip Let's into this. Drop some more crumbs on me and more jelly. Yeah, that too. Mm-hmm. My daughter's a fan of uh, the old um, Peanuts cartoons, which I love. Mm-hmm. Love Charlie Brown. And I, a while back, had bought the digital set of the This Is America Charlie Brown series. So it does mm-hmm. like the whole like Mayflower, does, you know, Birth of Flight. Yeah, but right. it also does the Space Station. Like this mm. is the space station, Charlie Brown, or this is outer space, Charlie Brown. But huh. it was made in the eighties. And so they're talking about how like the next space station thing will be in the mid nineties and all this kind Ooh, of stuff. Yeah. And I was like, wow, that was like a total throwback. <laughs> That's like stuff when like we were kids, that was like the space propaganda <laughs> that, that they were throwing at yeah. us, you know, but maybe we'll live up here. Maybe right. we'll, no, thank mm. you. Do you ever yeah. see interstellar? I don't, right. Uh, no interest. No interest to live in some giant orbiting bubble. No interest. You know, I think I'd live on Mars. You know, if they sent a colony ship out there, so it was like a one-way voyage, I think I'd do it. I would not. Have fun. I'll email you if that works. <laughs> yeah, that, that may work. That may know. work. I don't know exactly. I'm not <laughs> exactly up to speed on the technology. Email on Mars. Mm, email email on, on Mars. Mars. Maybe Google make, will know. Maybe Google will know. Can yeah, you email right. Mars? All right. Very good. Well, uh, <clears throat> hopefully you enjoyed that debauchery. Uh, lockdown. Don't forget, we have a uh, lockdown in plain sight storage shelf uh, that is ready to be given away. Just go to factsandfirearms.com slash blog and click on episode 44. Uh, these things are legit. I mean, seriously, yeah. they look so nice. Yeah. They could store all kinds of stuff, keep snacks. things secure out of, out of the way. You could secure your snacks, your highly coveted snacks. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so make sure you check them out. Uh, links to their website also in the show notes this week at factsandfirearms.com slash blog 
episode 44. Nice. Indeed. For those of you who have been watching the podcast for a while, you may know that uh, we had Ryan Donahue from Crimson Trace on for one of our episodes to talk all things optics and red dots and some of the exciting things that CT has coming up. But I just wanted to share one of my personal favorite products of theirs, and that is their Railmaster Pro, the CMR204. So not only is it a tactical light, it's also a laser, and it has all of the industry proven technology that Crimson Trace has been known for for so many years. But they're not just limited to things like lights and lasers. They've made a big splash in the electro optics game, whether it's looking at something like a traditional rifle scope or maybe even their new battle optic which you may or may not have seen in some tv shows and movies recently they have a lot to offer so obviously you're going to be seeing some more stuff uh, of crimson trace popping up with us here at facts and firearms you may have even seen it uh staged on our limited edition mustang rifle that came out in the spring of 2020 again lots of cool stuff from them just like the cmr 204 or anything in their rail Masters series we would encourage you to check them out at crimsontrace.com I think their product headline says it best, ring steel, not your ears. If you haven't checked out uh, episode 27 of the Facts and Blogging podcast, we actually spoke uh, to Jared from Caldwell Shooting about some of their uh, extensive line of hearing protection and accessories. One of the things that they sent out to us was a set of their Emac Shadows. And the nice thing about the Emac Shadows is not only are they excellent ear protection for the range or for training, or even when you're just mowing your lawn or working with power tools, uh, but they also are a Bluetooth headset. So if you're into earbuds and power beats and AirPods and all that kind of thing, you can still get great stereo sound, dual microphones and device control all right here from the shadows. And again, when you use those foam tips, uh, you also get a 25 dB noise reduction rating as well. So if you're out on the range all day, you're working on a project in the garage, you wanna listen to music, you still need to take calls, that sort of thing, no need to be taken on and off the giant muffs. You could just have a pair of shadows in and you can find these over at caldwellshooting.com. And don't forget to check out our whole episode about hearing protection with Caldwell at faxandfirearms.com slash blog. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, we would love for you to hit that like button, hit that subscribe button uh, on your favorite video or podcasting app, and we'd love for you to share uh, the show with your friends. Don't forget that you can find all of the apps that were on all your favorite podcasting apps at factsandfirearms.com slash blog. Click on any one of our episodes to get all the links to the various apps that you can find us on. As always, we would love to hear from you. If you have questions you'd like to hear on air, guest suggestions or topic suggestions, please feel free to email us at podcast at factsandfirearms.com. And don't forget to enter into this week's giveaway again to win an in plain sight shelf from our friends at Lockdown. All you have to do is go to factsandfirearms.com slash blog and click on episode 44. Again, we hope you enjoyed today's show and we look forward to seeing you next week. We want to extend our deepest gratitude to military, police, first responders, and more by saying thank you with special pricing and discounts on all facts and products. Here's how you get started. 
First, you'll head on over to our website, factsandfirearms.com. From there, you'll want to click Support and Guardian Purchase Program in the drop-down. Then you'll see the instructions on how to get started, so let's just walk through those. First, you'll want to register for an account on our website. If you've already bought something from us on our website before, then this part's already taken care of. Second, you'll want to send a copy of your credentials or some reasonable verification of affiliation to customer service at factionfirearms.com. We get a lot of emails where people are like, hey, will this count? Will this ID count? Will this VA card count? Chances are, yes, a lot of them will count, but make sure you attach an image or a copy of that verification to the email before you even ask customer service. That way they can expedite the process for you. As soon as the account has been created or updated, we will send you an email letting you know that you're ready to go. The discount will be available anytime online when you go to your shopping cart. If you have any more questions, please email customer service at factsandfirearms.com.